Thank you for joining us for the Covered in Dust message series from Journey Church in Bozeman, Montana. In this series, we're exploring what discipleship means for us in the context of community. Let's tune in. to see you. Uh, I, I often say this, but it's incredibly true to me as I'm incredibly honored to not only be a part of this family, but now and again to get up here and get to talk with you uh, about who God is and what he's like. It's an incredible honor for me. Have you ever thought about what your last words might be? I know that might be a little bit of a morbid thought here this morning, but I'm not even just talking about your last words before maybe you would die, but maybe your last words that you would say to someone that you knew you're probably never going to see again. What would your last words be? When we think about last words, the reason that they're so important is because if we only had one thing that we were going to say to someone, one last thing, we would make it count, wouldn't we? We would say something that we think this is important. This is what I want you to catch. This is what I want you to remember when you think about me and when you think about my life. Now, if we transfer that to the life of Jesus, I I would make the argument or the case that everything that Jesus said was important. But I want us to focus in today on some of the very last words of Jesus. Because I think Jesus, the same as us, his last words, he's going to want to make these count. He's going to want people to remember these And these words are often what we call the Great Commission that we see at the very end of Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Some of Jesus' very last words to those that were closest to him. In verse 18, it says, Then Jesus came to him, came to them, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, just like we did here today, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus' last words. These were important to him. And the one thing that he said that he wanted them to hear, that he wanted us to hear, is go and make disciples. When I read this, I almost get the picture of of like a a track baton that Jesus had. And he was saying, this was my life with you. I made disciples of you. I taught you how to follow me in every aspect of life and ministry. And Jesus is now taking that baton and he's handing it to to the disciples. And he's saying, grab that baton and go into the world. And what I'm asking you to do is to make disciples the same way 
that I made disciples of you. So make disciples who can make disciples, who can make disciples. Our faith, it's, it's not just a marathon, it's a relay race. We hand our faith from generation to generation as we make disciples of one another. That's the picture that Jesus gives us in the Bible. But the question's got to come to our mind, am I a disciple? Am I involved in the discipling of other people? And I realize even when we hear that word disciple, because it's not a word that we often use in our culture, it comes from the culture of the Bible. We hear that and we're like, is that just some kind of a religious fanatic? I'm not even sure that I want to be one of those, much less make those. What is a disciple and what is it that Jesus is asking us to do? And for us to begin to think about that, I want us to look at a text of scripture today That as we look not only at the text itself, but the cultural background behind it, it's going to help us understand what did Jesus have in mind when he talked about being a disciple and making disciples of others. We're going to look at a text from Matthew chapter 14. And if you've been around the church during your life, you've probably heard this story hundreds of times, the story of Jesus and Peter walking on the water. But I want us to maybe look at it from a cultural angle that I think will unpack a little bit more of what Jesus had in mind when he talked about discipleship. Now, the context of this story, Jesus has just done this incredible miracle where he has fed 5,000 people. The, the disciples, they are so excited about the, what God has just done, what Jesus has just done, this amazing miracle. But they get this a massive picnic cleaned up, and this is where we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 14, Starting in verse 22. It says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn... Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out, down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, and he caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Let's put ourselves in the story, if we can, a little bit. The disciples have just seen this incredible miracle, but then Jesus sends them out in the boat. And you can tell they've been in the boat a long time because this is almost before dawn. One of the texts translates that the fourth watch of the night means that it's somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Have you ever stayed up that late? Between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., your mind just starts playing tricks on you. You can't even think straight. You're so tired. In this state and in this storm, so they're emotionally and they're physically exhausted, fighting this storm, 
they see something walking across the water at them. Someone, something. Now these guys are seasoned fishermen. They've been out on the Sea of Galilee many, many times throughout their life. And they ain't seen this. They've never seen this before. The only thing that they can think is that this must be a ghost. And so what do they do? They just cry out in fear. Can you just picture this boat of guys? I mean, I'd probably be doing the same thing, but they're crying out in fear. But then in the midst of that storm, they hear this calm, familiar, comforting voice. And it's the voice of Jesus. He says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. So even if you just stop the story and look at it right here, like this story hasn't been weird enough already. Them out in the storm and Jesus walking on the water. Then Peter's response is incredibly out of the blue, seemingly. In verse 28, Peter's immediate response, he goes from screaming, I'm afraid, to this. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And then Jesus replies, come. And then Peter gets down out of the boat, walks on the water, and he came toward Jesus. What do you think Peter was thinking? Again, let, let's think about that. One minute he's screaming because he's afraid for his life. And then almost instantly, suddenly, he's saying, Jesus, if it's you, I want to come out and walk on the water with you. I mean, is Peter crazy? That seems like one of the most crazy requests ever. Why wouldn't he just want Jesus to get in the boat and to save them? But he says, Jesus, I want to walk on the water with you. But here's what I want to say. Peter's not crazy. He's not crazy at all. In fact, he's very insightful because Peter understands what it means to be a disciple and he understands some things about discipleship. What did Peter know that we need to know if we're going to understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and to make disciples of others? Now I want us to just, if we can, let's just hit the pause button right now on this story of Peter. And let's go back and let's start to think a little bit culturally what it was like to be a disciple in those days. Because Jesus was a Jewish rabbi and Peter was one of his disciples. And in the first century, the Jewish rabbi, he was the center of everything in that culture. He was the one that interpreted the scriptures for them. And the scriptures, the Torah was the center of everything in their culture. He was the leader in the synagogue. He was the judge and arbiter in legal disputes, and he was the cornerstone of their entire educational system. And this is how things worked in their culture. Every little boy, when he was about the age of five or six, they would go off to be with the rabbi, to what they called Beit Sefer. And in this, they were to learn the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. But they didn't just read them and learn about them, they actually memorized them. Memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Memorized. I mean, this is like Awana on steroids for little kids, isn't it not? And while they were in this Beit Sefer where they were learning the Torah, the rabbis all the time, they were looking at all the students that were there, looking for those bright and sharp students. Who were the best of the best? Who were the 4.0 students? Who was the cream of the crop? And at the end of this training, this Torah training, usually about the age of 10, 
most of the little boys and girls would go back home to do the family trade. If they were fishermen, they would be fishermen. If they were carpenters, they'd be carpenters. They would go back and do what their family did. They would do a trade. But for those that were the best of the best, they were invited into another level of education called Beit Talmud. And then what would happen is they would learn the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. Memorize and know everything about the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. And then at the age of about 15 or so, almost all of those students would go back home to be a part of their family and to work their family trade or get together to begin to build a family of their own. But during this time of training, the rabbis, again, they're looking out across the crowd and they're looking for who are the best of the best? Who's the cream of the crop? Who are my 4.0 students? And there would be an invitation that they would give to them to enter into another level of education called Beit Midrash. And what this was, was an invitation from the rabbi for them to become an actual disciple of this rabbi. And this is what the rabbi would be saying to these students. I want you to be like me. I don't want you to just know what I know. I want you to be like me. And I want you to be able to do everything that I can do. I want you to become like me in every way. And when Jesus talked about discipleship, he said very similar things when he was teaching. In Luke chapter 6, verse 40, this is how Jesus describes it. He says, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained. When a disciple is fully trained, this is what he says, will be like their teacher. If you are a disciple of someone, what it means is that you become absolutely like them. You know what they know. You become like them in their character, and you know how to do the things that they did. This is incredibly different than American higher education, isn't it? Because you think about what it was like for us if you went to college or even went to high school. Primarily, what you would do is you go and the teacher talks to you and you just learn what they learn. You know, try to learn and know what they know. I was thinking about my higher education, a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering, a master's degree at seminary. And I was thinking back, I cannot remember one time ever being in the home of one of my professors. It was a very distant education. We just sat in rows, just like this. They talked to me. I listened. I tried to regurgitate to them so that I would know what they know. But it's very different than what it means to follow Jesus as a disciple, to follow anyone as a disciple. We are meant to become like them in every way. And it was interesting. Every rabbi had a different way that they interpreted the Torah, those first five books of the New Testament. Because there's 600-plus commands in the Torah, but every one of those has lots of different ways that you can think about, how does that play out in my life? What does it look like for me to apply these commands to my life? And each rabbi had a different way that he did that. And the way that he interpreted the Torah was called his yoke. And what, he had, what they would invite disciples to do, they would say, take my yoke upon you. You probably heard that before from the life of Jesus, but that's what a rabbi would do. He would take his yoke and he would put it on his disciples. And what he's saying is, I want you to be who I am. I want you to become who I am. I want you to be able to do the things that I can do. And then the rabbi, over this time of training, he would grill them over and over to make sure, to make absolutely sure that they could carry the yoke of the rabbi. And you've got to understand that to do this, 
to actually become like another person, to know everything that they know, to be like them, and to do what they do, takes an incredible amount of devotion. This wasn't just something that you do going to class a few days a week. What it meant was that you left your family, and you began to follow them in every way. You were with them day in and day out, so that you would know exactly the way they lived in the rhythms of their life, so that you could be like them. So when a rabbi came to you and he said, follow me, he literally meant follow me. Not like, not like follow me on Twitter and find out what I'm doing now and then. Actually, follow me with your whole life. And so if you were to go around first century Jerusalem, you would see a rabbi walking down the road. And there would be this pack of disciples right behind him, step by step, following them exactly the way that they did it. And there became this rabbinical blessing that they would say to their disciples, and it was this. It would say, follow your rabbi, drink in his words, and be covered by the dust of his feet. Be covered by the dust of his feet. What they're saying is, follow him so closely, imitate his life so closely, that everything that is just kicked up from his feet comes all over you as you become like him in every way. This is the picture that we need to have when we think about discipleship in the first century. And so let's think about the life of Jesus. A rabbi, oftentimes their ministry or their teaching would begin about the age of 30. And that's where we find Jesus at the very beginning of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus about the age of 30. And what does he do? He begins to call disciples to himself. He's walking along the Sea of Galilee. And he sees Peter and Andrew. And he calls them to follow him. A couple of fishermen. He sees James and John, the sons of Zebedee, a couple of fishermen. Finds himself a tax collector and throws it in the mix. These are the people that Jesus starts to call him. These are people that are out doing their family business. What does that mean about these people that Jesus is calling to himself? To follow him. They're not the best of the best. They're not the 4.0 students. They're not the cream of the crop. But this is what Jesus is saying to every one of them. As he looks him in the eye and he says, come follow me. What he's saying to you is, I believe that you can be like me. I believe that you can do what I can do. I believe that you have what it takes. He would look him in the eye and say, you are not the B team. You are not JV. You have everything that it takes to be like me. And he gives them this incredible opportunity of a lifetime to come follow me. And I think if there was any way that I could try to even put this in our own culture, I was imagining that it would probably be something like a professor walking into a factory to an underpaid factory worker and say this, you right there. Come with me. You're going to Harvard Law. You have what it takes. Or maybe even more prestigious than that. <laughs> Montana State University. That's right. The Harvard of the Rockies. Right there. But you know what I love about this? Jesus is telling us. Then and now, this movement is for everyone. No one has to sit the bench on this deal Everyone's invited to follow him. It doesn't matter who you think you are or what you think you've done. This Jewish rabbi is saying, come, 
follow me. Make your life about me because I believe you can be like me. I believe that you can do the things that I did. I believe that you can be my disciple. One of my favorite verses in scripture is from the book of Acts chapter 4 verse 13. And this is after these disciples have been trained by Jesus and they're going out and they're doing this incredible ministry and God's kingdom is breaking through because of what he's doing in and through their lives. And this is what the people said when they looked at these people, these disciples. They said when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. See, these men were like him. They could see, they seem unschooled and ordinary. But what we're seeing out of their lives is that they're becoming like Jesus. They're doing the things that Jesus did. And they realized they had become disciples of Jesus. They were living that out. And the reason this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible is that I don't wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, wow, you are extraordinary. Every day I get up in the mirror and I look in the mirror and I think, whoa, you are extraordinary. You are incredibly average. But you know what the scripture tells me is that makes me incredibly available to be able to be used by God because he can use any one of us, any one of us. That's the culture of that story that we're looking at. So let's go back to this story of Peter. So what's going on in his mind? When he sees, when he realizes that this is Jesus walking on the water, his mind instantly turns to the mind of a disciple saying, I need to be like him. I need to do what he did. I need to walk in the dust of his feet. And even if those feet are not walking on dust, they're walking on water, I need to do it because I want to be like him. And that's where that question comes from Peter. He says, how do I do that? And so he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And what does Jesus say? He says, come. So Peter gets down, gets on the edge of the boat, begins to put his feet into the water. Can you imagine what that was like for him? As he's got his eyes on Jesus thinking, I want to be like the rabbi. I want to be like the rabbi. And he starts to walk one step after another, one more. And he's moving toward Jesus. And imagine the guys in the boat saying, oh my gosh, it's Peter. Crazy Peter, he's doing it. And his eyes are on his Savior. But then there's the wind that blows and Peter takes his eyes off and he's looking at things around him. And it says immediately he began to sink. But what does he do? He says, I think the most, the shortest, but probably the most heartfelt prayer ever in the Bible. He says, Lord, save me. And he sticks out his hand. And what does Jesus do? He immediately reaches out his hand and he pulls him up. And he says to him, Peter, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And he pulls him up out of the water and they get back into the boat. And they worshiped. Jesus. Friends, to me, that right there, that is the picture of discipleship. Whatever I see Jesus doing, whatever it is that he invites me to do, I do it full of faith. Even if it doesn't make sense to me in any way, I do what it is that my rabbi is asking me to do. I don't doubt. Whether his feet are in the dust, whether his feet are in the water, I'm going to follow in his footsteps. But I want us to think just a little bit about that comment that Jesus made to Peter 
He said, Peter, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? This is what I want us to think a little bit about. How do you think Jesus said that? What do you think was the tone in his voice as he said that? And this is why I think that is so important. Is You probably grew up just like I did. There were many times that my mama said to me, just like your mama probably said to you, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. Absolutely. And studies would confirm that. That the vast majority of what we actually communicate, a very small portion of that is in the actual words. But so much of it is in the body language and the tone. How is it that Jesus said that to Peter? Do you think he said, Peter, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Frustrated, angry, heaping shame and guilt on Peter. Do you think that was what he, how Jesus said that? Or do you think maybe on the other side of the spectrum that Jesus looked down at Peter and with a grin on his face said, Peter, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt yourself, Peter? Why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt that you could be like the rabbi? Peter, that's what I've been inviting you to do. And I think it's important in our lives to decide how is it that Jesus said that? Because my fear would be if we have this idea that us stepping out in faith and trusting God for big things brings the anger and the frustration of God, we're probably never going to do it. But I would bet my house, I would bet everything that I've got that Jesus said it the other way. He was smiling when he looked at Peter. Because you know why? Peter was getting it. He was getting it. There were 11 other guys sitting in the boat. But Peter was getting it. I'm going to do everything that the rabbi does. Peter was actually getting it. And that's the picture of what it means to be a disciple. It's living a supernatural life and doing everything that Jesus invites us to do. In fact, Jesus said, you're not only going to do the things that I do, you're going to do even more than that. There was a time when Jesus was at the end of his life that he was comforting his disciples. And this is what he said to them. He was comforting them because he was telling them that I'm going to be gone soon. But this is what he said in John 14, 12. He says, very truly I tell you, Whoever believes in me, meaning believe in him, whoever decides to follow me, will do the works I have been doing. Jesus is saying, you're going to do the same things that you've seen me doing. And they say, then you will even do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Jesus is saying, you can do what I can do if you follow me. There was a staff member and I, Logan, and we were walking down the hall the other day. We were kind of reflecting on this scripture. We thought, wouldn't it be kind of funny to put a big banner out in front of Journey and say, it says, Journey Church, doing greater things than Jesus. <laughs> you know, I think people would look at that and just think, who do they think they are? And I would understand that. But really, I would actually be able to defend it and say, I actually think we're being quite biblical. Because Jesus said that when we follow him, when we trust him, when we believe in him, we're going to do greater things than he even did. But I've got to believe somewhere in your mind as you hear that, you're thinking, are you serious? Are you really serious? I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to do the things that Jesus did. That seems overwhelming. That seems a little bit beyond the pale. But God wants us to know he is in it with us. It's his work in us to help us. Do the things that Jesus did. This is how Paul described it in Romans 8, 29. He said, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This is God at work in us. 
transforming our life and changing us and helping us to become the kind of person that Jesus was. And I want to, in a relatively quick way, I want to unpack something that we're going to be unpacking over time here at Journey. But there's a picture that I want you to get about the life of Jesus to help you understand what is it actually going to look like for me to imitate the life of Jesus. And when we think about what the life of Jesus looks like, we're going to start to think about what are the three relational dimensions that Jesus lived his life in, that we can walk in the same ways that he walked. The first relational dynamic that we see in the life of Jesus is that there was an up component in his life. And when I say up component, I'm talking about an up relationship that Jesus had with the Father. Even the story that we just read, the very first thing that Jesus does after that amazing miracle is he goes and he spends time with the Father praying. And Jesus would tell people, he said, I don't do anything that I don't hear the Father telling me to do, only what I see him doing. There was this intimacy and this connectedness with God that marked the life of Jesus. And that's what needs to mark our life if we're going to be, the li- be a disciple of Jesus. But there was also an in component to the life of Jesus. And when I say in component, I'm talking about an in component with the family of God. One of the very first things that Jesus did when he started his ministry is he called people to become an extended family with him. He did life with them. He didn't just teach to them. He walked with them. He laughed with them. He ate with them. He did kingdom ministry with them. He allowed them to be a part of his life. He became a family with them. And he built into their lives, and he taught them to build into the lives of others. And friends, if we're going to imitate the life of Jesus, that needs to become a part of our life. We need to learn to live as a family within the family of God and learn how to build into the lives of others. But the last thing that there was in the life of Jesus was there was an out component, an out relationship as well. And when we say an out relationship, we're talking about an out relationship to the broken world around him. Jesus didn't want to just build a family and just say, this is just going to be about us, us four and no more. It was about taking the kingdom of God to the world. Jesus said, the reason I came is to seek and to save that which is lost. So if we are going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, it's going to lead us to the places where there are people that don't know who he is and don't know about him and need a relationship with him. These are the three dynamics, friends, that we're going to be thinking about. How do we begin to build these into our lives? An up relationship with the Father, an in relationship together with the family of God, and then an out relationship to the broken world. And you see, this is the, a picture of the relational dynamic of the life of Jesus. But all this is, this is a picture of the life of Jesus. As you can also see, this is a mirror. And so it's possible for me to hold this up and begin to look at my own life. What is my up relationship like with the Father? Is it marked by intimacy and connectedness the way that Jesus was? What is my in relationship with the family of God? Is it connected? Am I building into the lives of others? Am I allowing others to build into the life of me? What are my relationships like with the out component, with the broken world? Am I engaging people that don't know who Jesus is and don't know what he's done for them? Am I helping them come to know him? Not only is it a picture, but it's also a mirror for us to hold up to our lives. But friends, it's not just a a mirror for us to hold up personally. It's also a mirror for us to hold up to each other. As a family, as a Journey Church family, is this the life that we're living? 
Is there a dynamic up component, an in component, an out component in our life corporately? And that's what we're going to be thinking about over the next several weeks as we start to think, what is it going to look like for us to imitate the life of Jesus? Because the truth is, friends, you are imitating something. You're following something in your life. You're covered in the dust of something. You are chasing something. But the invitation that Jesus is giving is he's saying, would you? Would you be willing to be covered in my dust? Would you be willing to allow your life to be so transformed by me, so close with me, that your life would be covered in the dust of my life? That when you looked at your life, that's what you would see. You would see the life of Jesus just all over you. And what's that life going to look like? What is it going to look like when we're covered in the dust of Jesus? It's going to look like a supernatural love that we have for people. And not just people that we like. It's going to be a love that we have for our enemies. When we think about that end of Jesus' life, when he was mocked and cursed and beaten, what did he say about the people that were doing that? He looked up at his father and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. This incredible heart, even for his enemies. There's going to be an incredible humility in our lives. Our lives are going to be less about ourselves and it's going to be more about other people. You see that picture of Jesus kneeling down with a towel over his waist, washing the feet of the disciples. He was the son of God. He was God in the flesh and he took the lowest form of a slave and washed the feet of others. When we're covered in the dust of Jesus, friends, there's going to be a supernatural humility in our life. There's going to be a supernatural forgiveness. Jesus was willing to take upon himself the pain and the suffering, the guilt and the shame and the punishment for our sin, the sin of the world. We're going to be able to live like that as well as we let go of bitterness that we have for people. We're going to supernaturally be able to forgive people around us. There's going to be a perseverance that we have in the face of suffering. Yes, I said it, suffering. To follow in the dust of the rabbi, there is going to be suffering in your life. But when we look at the life of Jesus, there was perseverance in the midst of it. Because he knew his father. He was connected to his father. And he knew the purposes of his father. And it gave him perseverance in the midst of the most difficult things. Things that we will never have to face in our own lives. And there's going to be a supernatural compassion that we're going to have for people that don't know Jesus that don't know this Savior. We're going to be like Jesus who looked out at the multitudes and the scripture says that he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And it moved him toward them. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. When we're covered in the dust of our rabbi, we're going to be those laborers in his harvest field. We're going to live a supernatural life. Not by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and doing it ourselves, but allowing God in the power of his spirit to live his life through us in his power, not in our own. And if there's one thing I want you to take away from today, it's this. To be this kind of a follower of Jesus, it is not about perfection. It's about direction. 
Jesus didn't call people that were perfect. Every one of them were sinners. And at the time, not all of them, not any of them, really knew who he was or believed in him as their Lord and Savior. That all came later. But there was this incredible invitation. And what they decided to do was they decided to reorient their life around something different. And friends, that's the invitation that Jesus is giving every person in this room today. I don't care what direction you're in. I don't care what state of perfection you're in or not in. Jesus is saying, follow me. Follow me. Be covered in my dust. Become like me. Get to the place where you're being like me in my character and doing the things that I did. It's the most incredible invitation any one of us could ever be offered to reorient our life around him. I want to just ask you to set your things aside. And what I want you to do is just take a minute now and just realize that Jesus himself would be standing before you just like he did with Peter and Andrew, James, John, Matthew, even Judas. He would be looking in front of you and saying, come, follow me. Jesus, when I... When I just think about my own life, I know that I don't deserve. to be invited the way that you invite us. But I'm so thankful that you did. And I'm so thankful for my friends that are here, that regardless of what they think about their own lives, you extend that invitation to them. And Jesus, today I just want to say yes. I want to say yes to you. And I pray that you would stir the hearts of my friends that in every way they would say yes to you as well Jesus you're worth it Jesus you're worth it we want to be like you we want to do the things that you did not for our glory but for your glory we want the world to know you we want the world that's lost and broken to know you Jesus would you help us to do that we just want to declare we trust you today we're ready to be covered in your dust in new and greater ways Jesus, we love you. And it's in your powerful and risen name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.